you're listening to Well Made. I'm Stefan Ango, co-founder of Lumi. My whole life, I've been asking myself the same question. What does it mean to make things well? This is the show where we talk to creators, entrepreneurs, movers, and shakers, people who have become experts in their field and can shed light on that simple question, what makes something well made? Christina Galen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. So I thought I'd start by asking if you two remember the very first day that you met. Do you remember where that was and and when? I do. Yes, (laughs) it was at diapers.com and Galen was very pregnant (laughs) with twins and could barely breathe. She was having trouble speaking. (laughs) What, What year was that? That was 2009. So what was the context exactly for you two meeting? Yeah, so I was interviewing for a job on Christina's team at diapers.com, and she was interviewing me. I remember you were wearing a jean skirt. (laughs) That did not need to be shared. (laughs) No, it's cute. It was the summer. It was like, had to be the beginning of August, maybe. And my twins were born at the end of August, so I was like a house and definitely couldn't breathe. Yeah, but a, she interviewed very well because she joined the company. <laughs> oh my god! And this was 2009. You guys were in New York at the time. No, the office was in Montclair. That's in New Jersey. Where is that? New Jersey. Okay. Do you remember your first impressions of each other back then, or at least after getting a chance to work together for a little bit? It's funny. I have like a couple. I think when I when Christina interviewed me, I wasn't sure. Like she was a little hard to read. I wasn't sure if she was into it or not. And then when we started working together, I feel like it was just like, to me at least, like an immediate click. Like we sort of like kind of got what the other person was looking for without having to like talk a lot about it, which I think worked really well for both of us. I agree. I I think from the moment we met um, to after her joining, it was clear that Gillen had all the things that you uh, would want in someone to work with. And ended up being someone I wanted to have, you know, a pizza or a beer or many glasses of wine with on a regular basis. And so it was definitely a click from the beginning. And it was a very intense time at diapers.com and Quincy because we were about to go through the Amazon acquisition and diapers.com and the other businesses were growing really quickly. So it was a lot of ups and downs and we had to work really closely together through that time. And so it was a great way for us to get to know each other and realize how much we liked working together. So the reason I ask that is because actually my co-founder and I, Jesse, met right around that same time and became really good friends and have been pretty much in business since then together. And it was also very random. We we met going to school and I never realized until a couple of years ago how special that was because we ended up going through Y Combinator for Lumi and... It wasn't until I, uh, I saw what other companies are like, what other founders are like, that I realized I had been taking our relationship for granted this whole time. Getting the right chemistry, having the right kind of balance of complementary skills, uh, and just plain getting along is something that is actually so unusual. Yeah, totally. I think for us too, like part of actually the genesis of us doing primary was that we wanted to do something together. Versus like, I think a lot of times it happens the other way around where it's like, I have this idea, I feel like I need a co-founder or a few. And so I'm just going to like slot some people in to do it with me. And it wasn't like that for us. And so I think that's a big part of it too, is that 
you know, if, if we didn't sort of have each other and, and feel really good about like doing something really hard together that like, we probably never would have done it in the first place. So it wasn't like primary's happening. Like who's going to be working on it? it was like, Christina and I are going to do something together and we're really excited to launch primary. Can you talk about that time when you first started working together at diapers.com? You, you mentioned that this was just before the Amazon acquisition. What was the atmosphere like? How long did it take before it got acquired? What happened after that? What was going on at that time? It must have been pretty crazy. It was an exciting time because the business was growing so quickly. Um, and we were really charged with leading marketing um, as sort of our primary responsibility there. And it was so much fun um, and also a lot of pressure, of course, to keep the growth going. Um, and then also, as we moved into the time when we were doing diligence for the acquisition, it was super intense. So it just was critical that we be able to work super closely together through all the ups and downs of it. Can you give a sense for the scale of the business at that time and what you were responsible for at, in, in terms of leading the marketing? At that time, which is around 2009, 2010, diapers.com was doing over $300 million in sales. And we were responsible for marketing and sort of front-end retail, which is marketing, merchandising, and supply chain for diapers.com and then also for some of the other Quidsy websites. Yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive. I mean, <laughs> that, that must have been quite a task. And, and, but at the time, so obviously the name Diapers, there were other products that were starting to uh, be part of that as well, right? Part of the whole Quidsy portfolio. Exactly. So the whole idea behind um, Quidzy really was to basically develop a relationship with customers by selling them all those necessities that a family with young kids needs, starting with diapers, but then everything that you would need for a baby from diapers, formula, and wipes to everything that the family needs from a health and wellness perspective. So we launched SOAP. Dot com in that space, as well as for your pets. So we launched, launched wag.com to serve that category. And from there, to sell them all of the other things that they would also need, whether it be toys or children's books or sporting goods or anything else, again, that a young family might need. Um, and really to build on that relationship that we had built with the customer by selling them those necessities with great service. And the fact that they would continue to come back to us for those and then also buy all of the other things that they needed. I want to come back to, to Quidzy and diapers.com in a little bit, but can you just describe what were the steps that, that led from there to founding Primary? Yeah, it was pretty related, actually. I think there were like sort of two things that, that led to Primary. One was very much about diapers.com. Christina and I, um, you know, both spent a lot of time there thinking about what is the sort of best shopping experience for busy parents. And obviously it, you know, ended up centering around these product categories that Christina mentioned. And I think for us, like we were just sort of left wanting to be able to shop for our kids' clothes in the same way that diapers allowed us to easily shop for diapers and wipes and sort of all of the obvious replenishment items. And we sort of felt like we weren't able to do that in the market as it existed then, you know, we wanted to be able to buy our kids' favorite essentials as they got bigger, you know, and sized up. But really the, the whole 
apparel market thinks about clothing in a very different way, which is really all about newness, which is great and another awesome way to market and bring new designs to market and things like that. But for us as busy parents, what we were really missing was these essential, you know, and the ability to reorder them. And so that was a big piece of it. You know, personally, we had two kids each and spent a lot of time shopping for all the stuff they needed. And just, yeah, I felt like there was a huge need in, in our lives, at least, for a, a really easy replenishment-oriented clothing experience that just didn't exist. And so started thinking about, you know, if we had a clean slate and could design, like, our most favorite kids' clothing store, what would it look like? And primary sort of fairly quickly came to be based on that. You know, the, the name came together quickly. It was all about kids. It was all about color. And it was all, all about sort of the one best version of everything a kid wears. And so with that as sort of the basis and, and what we thought was a pretty good domain name, we left Amazon uh, in February of 2014. And then we spent like three months sort of finalizing the business plan and, and starting to raise a seed round of funding. At that point, we were working out of the Reebok Sports Club on the Upper West Side, which was just fun and easy and like actually a cheap alternative to a WeWork and gave us an excuse to wear workout clothes every day, even though I think we only worked out for like the first like five days we were doing that. And then, yeah, we raised our seed round in June of 2014 hired a CTO and a creative director, and then basically we're sort of off to the races with that crew and then launched the site in March of 2015. And so before primary, because I'm assuming <laughs> your kids, if they're still in the age range, are, are wearing your clothes maybe? I mean, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it seems weird for your kids to wear <laughs> their, the, their parents' clothing. It did for a minute, but now they're head to toe every day. Okay, good. Uh, but what were, what were the, the brands and places that you were shopping for your kids before then? And, and what did you feel specifically, aside from the ordering, but also from a design standpoint, could have been done better? For me, it was all over the place. It was like Old Navy, Carter's, Gap, Gymboree, Children's Place, uh, Mini Bowden, Crew Cuts, Hannah Anderson, just kind of whatever like came up or like happened to be in front of my face at the moment. And so I really didn't have loyalty and there was no like, oh, I need more kids clothes. I'm going to go to X to get what I need. It was much more impulse sort of you know, here's a 40% off sale, or I saw this thing on diapers.com or whatever it was. The biggest things for me that were missing were, there are two of them. One was on the experience side where if my kids had a favorite pair of leggings or a favorite t-shirt, like there was absolutely no way for me to just buy that thing again in a bigger size six months later, because it didn't exist anymore. Again, because of this like newness design sort of orientation that a lot of brands really have, they're sort of reinventing things all the time, which means that like if you have a favorite, it's going to be different the next time you go to buy it. Um, and the second thing was that it felt like stuff had stuff all over it that I didn't necessarily always want. I think it's fun to have some characters and some sequins and stuff once in a while, but I felt like for the like basic essentials that were the foundation of my kids' clothes, I just wanted like easy pieces that went with everything and could be mixed and matched and my kids could dress themselves and be comfortable. And that to me was really hard to find at any retailer where instead it sort of felt like there were logos and slogans and crazy graphics and prints and all sorts of stuff everywhere. And so I was just wanting 
you know, really well-priced, high-quality, solid basics. And it was hard to find those things. Yeah, I love the the design of everything and how colorful it is. We we Jesse and I when we started uh, sold dyes, actually ca- fabric dyes. That's our the first business that we built, and just trying to keep all the different colors that we made in stock was crazy. You guys are doing that with way more colors across way more products. How do you how do you manage that? It it just seems insane to me. I don't know how that works. <laughs> it's funny because I think that was the piece of the business that we learned the most about. It was the thing we came in with the least experience around. And that ended up just honestly being a lot harder than we thought it would be to both manage sort of quality production, but also, you know, maintain stock levels that were exciting and a good thing for our customers. I think, you know, honestly, we ended up with our, our first like year plus with really low in-stock rates and, and for a business that was trying to establish itself as like the go-to brand for essentials, like you have to be in stock. And so that was really hard for us. I think we struggled to sort of land on a supply chain that felt good and that was reliable. And I think honestly, like looking back, I think we just under-resourced in that area from the beginning. You know, if we had to do it over again, I think we would have hired like a big gun in a supply chain role from the start to manage that piece of it, the sourcing and the production and the deliveries and all of it. Luckily, we've we figured that out and brought someone on full time at the end of last year. Um, and since then, you know, sort of new manufacturing relationships, it's been night and day in terms of like our inventory levels and in stock rates and product availability and, and quality too. And so I think it's um, it's definitely hard but I think for us, like the color piece is such a big part of our value proposition that for now, I think we recognize that it, it is hard to stay in stock. Demand's not super predictable yet, but we're sort of willing and have gotten buy-in from our board to just invest in carrying higher levels of inventory to make sure that the customer experience is a really good one um, until we can sort of learn more and, and get better about managing inventory. What were the the lessons? I mean, obviously you mentioned it would have been great to have someone who who had that as their responsibility. But were there any things? For some reason, my mind goes to like United Colors of Benetton type of like uh, supply chain model where they're kind of dyeing the fabrics at the very last minute pre-sewn or, or things like that. Like, were there any things that you guys came to realize that maybe weren't as intuitive? Yeah, so there were two things I think that were the most meaningful for us in terms of learnings and, and things that we sort of made sure to start focusing on in terms of the business. One was really on the fabric side where kind of related to just thinking about how primary was different than other companies and how we could leverage that difference in terms of like efficiency of our supply chain and just our overall business model. And so that really led us to think more about investing in fabric and using it as much as possible across the whole assortment. So right now we have about 80 styles in the assortment and 12 fabrics. And so by limiting the number of fabrics, it's enabled us to really sort of focus on what those fabrics are, why they're special, mostly 100% cotton, like striving to be incredibly soft, but also want to be flexible. So in using those 12 fabrics across our whole assortment, it gives us a ton of flexibility closer to when we're ordering to figure out how to deploy the fabric because we can sort of buy it in advance our fabrics and our colors are used across the whole assortment. And so, you know, sort of four to five weeks out from when productions leave the factories, we can decide what styles and sizes to use them in. But by having that fabric 
dyed fabric on hand up front. It just gives us more flexibility and, and shrinks the lead time, which is great. And then the other thing I think for us, just in terms of learning really, is how important relationships are on the supply chain side in particular. I think generally, like, relationships are really important to us and, and you know, our network has been hugely instrumental in, in the fact that primary exists today. But I think we had less experience on the supply chain side, you know, having seen sort of both sides of it where working with partners that haven't had a lot of history together versus now where we're lucky enough to have a chief supply chain officer who's had 30 years of experience, including running sourcing and production at The Gap, and, you know, someone who's worked with factory partners for a really, really long time, like seeing what that means for the business in terms of reliability and priority and ability to, like, change course and be flexible if something changes, um, but also partner with us in terms of quality and ideation and, and things like that is night and day. And so I think, yeah, for us it's just been – totally night and day. I think the business now with Marion's leadership on the supply chain side with all of the relationships that she brings to it has just been incredible. So we feel really lucky. And yeah, we had, we sort of underestimated, I think the power of that coming in. Yeah. The, the aspect of yardage, just like the amount of rolls of fabric that you can buy totally makes sense to me as something to prioritize because as you mentioned in the design of some of the other kids clothes that you see out there that have all these little features and details to them. Now you're having to incorporate all these specialty fabrics that you might not use very much just to achieve some sort of effect with the kind of design that you guys came up with, which are basic and simple and and minimal, but really great looking with the colors. I think that is probably an unintuitive, but also something that you learned that you could really apply to all kinds of different businesses. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, totally. And I think for us, like that was the magic of this opportunity for us was like the fact that the customer experience we wanted to build, which was really centered around, you know, evergreen, replenishable, essential clothes for kids married so well with like a really efficient business model that was different than any other company in the space where, yes, to your point, like being able to use the same fabrics across a big part of your assortment, not only for a season, but forever, um, just means that you can, you know, order into scale quantities at a relatively small size. And so our costs are just inherently lower than really big companies because we're ordering, like in terms of fabrics in particular, we're ordering in higher volumes than, you know, some companies that are like 100x our size in terms of top line revenue. One thing that you keep repeating, which I want to explore this a little bit, but it's the replenishment aspect. And I don't have kids yet, so maybe this is something that becomes a lot more important. And it actually reminds me of something else that uh, we talked about with Gabby Sloan, who was on the podcast and worked with you guys because she she's running this company, Ollie, that makes dog food, which has an interesting parallel, which is... You're both trying to sell something that the kids will wear, but also that the that the parents will like. And those are two different kind of customers that you need to balance. And I'm assuming the replenishment factor is is somewhat more important to the parent than it is to the kid. Can you describe a little bit about why that's so important? 
The insight definitely came in part from our diapers.com experience where it was so easy to buy those necessities and consumables that you did need over and over again. And when we looked at the kids' clothing market, we did feel like there was a part of it that was very similar, where some of the clothing is almost consumable in nature. Kids are going through it so quickly. And as they grow, you shouldn't have to reinvent the wheel every time. So we certainly wanted to be able to go back and buy the essentials that they need all the time easily. And also kids have their favorites, whether it's a favorite color or a favorite style. So for both parents and kids to be able to know that there's a place that you can count on to go back and buy the same thing that you loved before felt like a value that we wanted to be able to provide that would make families' lives easier. How do you fight what uh, some like to call the princess industrial complex, the Disney's, the things that, you know, are attracting the kids eye, you know, are probably the prince of their favorite frozen characters or whatever it is. Uh, Is that something that you think about in terms of making clothing that's both appealing to the kids and to the parents? Yeah, it's interesting because we think of what we're doing at primary as, as a bit of a revolution and we talk about it as a happy revolution. It's not that we are against characters or princesses or anything like that. Our kids like those things too. Our view was just that not everything needs to have that and that it felt like within kids' clothing it has become overcomplicated and overdone where everything has those things and not everybody wants it and whatever your style is, you need things to go with it and to complement it. And so we built primary in part to play with everything um, and we believe that it does. So we do make jokes about the fact that not all baby clothes need to say little slugger or mommy's genius, or kids' clothes need to say things like, I'm so baller. (laughs) And obviously we have a point of view in our clothing to not have those things. But really, we just want to be a place that you can count on to get the clothes that don't have logans, don't have slogans, aren't covered in sequins, because some people want that, and no matter what your style is, you, you need some of those things to be the foundation of your closet. Another aspect that we didn't talk about is that, correct me if I'm wrong, but everything is under $25, including shipping. Is that right? Yeah, our styles are basically, everything's between 8 and $24, and we actually just launched free shipping, no minimum. So in thinking a lot about what we wanted the experience to be, and again, sort of this like North Star of like if we had to design our like dream kids clothing brand and an experience, what would it look like? And for us, I think with that lens, a shipping minimum started to feel hard and like something extra to worry about. And we didn't want that. And so we just moved to to free shipping no minimum and are are really excited about it. So yes, we can we can say a hundred percent that uh, everything on the site, including shipping, is under twenty-five dollars. I mean, it's such a powerful constraint because for the customer, you know what you're getting into. And I feel like it really makes it easy to sort of try things out on on an impulse or, you know, you get in the door for a really affordable price point. But do you ever feel like there are items that you wish you hadn't set that constraint for yourself? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think not yet. But I, you know, can imagine as we start to think about potentially outerwear or shoes, like there's lots of categories I think that customers have asked us about that, yeah, that I think would be really hard to do in a quality way at that price point. And so I think it'll be a question for us. At this point, we're not running into any constraints in terms of assortment we wish we could have, but we can't because we can't 
make it for less than $25. And so, so far we're, we're in good shape and feel really good, like you said, sort of about just the power of it and, and giving people confidence before they know us really well, kind of what we're all about and, and what they can find here and, and what they won't find here, which is, you know, I think what we found a little bit in our own experience, which was things that were really cute in the market, but felt like really, really expensive for how long we knew our kids would be able to wear them. And so I think it's it's just a big confidence boost for people who are, who are getting to know our brand. So we feel good about it. So if someone buys an $8 item and gets the free shipping, are you guys able to make money on that order? Or do you think about it as a, a lifetime value of that customer? Or is there something that you did to get the, the shipping to be as low cost as possible? So two things. One, in general, we definitely think about the lifetime value of a customer. The business was created to build a customer relationship by being this place that parents can count on to buy and replenish their kids' clothing as, the, as their kids grow. And so we think a lot about what that relationship will look like over time and what the value of it will be and are willing to make investments up front to invest in the customer experience, including free shipping. Having said that, we also believed going into it and have found that customers stock up when they come to primary. Our clothes are essentials. They're all under $25. They're very collectible. We have a broad array of colors. And customers have fun shopping it. And so we are seeing that customers come and buy five, six plus items in an order, regardless of whether shipping is free or not, most of the time. And if there are times when customers need to get a couple of things in between, we want to be able to do that for them. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, I, I happen to know this because <laughs> we're involved in a little bit of it, but the poly mailers, I think, are a pretty great move because the shipping costs uh, make it just so much lower since that is basically weighs almost nothing, right? We love Lumi's poly mailers. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a, it wasn't trying to be a plug. It's just something that is not necessarily intuitive. A lot of companies just don't even think that that's an option, uh, but it seems to have worked well for you guys. We do love them. Um, we get to apply all of the fun design and branding that's a big part of what primary is. And so the bags are fun and, and beautiful, we think. But they are much less expensive than designed boxes, which is something we had done previously at Quidsy and, you know, gets hard to do uh, from a financial perspective. Yeah. You mentioned um, before we started to record about and you, you mentioned a little bit about this with your your supply chain person that you hired. You have a team that is a little bit more experienced. We talked about your guys' experience. How did you go about building this team of maybe veterans, people who've been doing this for a while? What, what, what were the approaches that you took and, and choices that you made in the people that you've, you've brought on? It was a little bit of like follow the breadcrumbs for us, I think, in terms of starting to feel out talent and experience and cultural fit, to be honest, that we felt like was hugely complementary to what Christina and I could bring. And so on specifically sort of the product and the supply chain side, uh, we're introduced to Patrick Robinson um, through a mutual friend. He ran design at The Gap for a number of years and has had just incredible, incredible design experience uh, in the apparel industry for a long time. It's also just happens to be the nicest person, I think, on the planet. And so spent a good bit of time with him, like from, you know, the moment we met, basically talking about like how he could work with Primary. He was designing, uh, is currently designing his own brand called Pasco, but was excited about what we were doing and excited to be a part of it. And so he came on board as our designer at the 
beginning of 2016, maybe, and also was just able to weigh in and give us his sort of gut reaction on things we were exploring from manufacturing partners to basically everything. And so as part of that, introduced us to Marion Treadway, whom um, he worked closely with at The Gap. And, you know, just sort of felt like, you know what, I think you guys would really enjoy chatting. She's like the best of the best and also thinks she would be a great cultural fit here. Like you guys should just grab a drink. And so we did that and had a few more conversations with her, kind of waded into it, to be honest, on both sides. Um, She came on as an advisor um, at the beginning and then sort of, you know, gave her kind of a consulting project in terms of managing the supply chain and, and thinking about that for us. And then after about six months, just sort of felt like on both sides, it was a really, really good fit. And so at that point, she decided to join us full time. And so that's really how that came together. Um, It's interesting because people often ask us what kind of company we are, whether we're a technology company or a marketing company. And we don't have an easy answer for that, but we definitely feel strongly that we're building a brand and really a service for these busy parents. And so we, of course, had to think about what some of the most important areas would be to invest in from the beginning um, with a very limited team. And they included creative, having an in-house creative team. And we have um, someone leading that here who we had worked with previously at Quidsy, who's amazing and has built a small team here. But we do all of our creative in-house. Of course, technology. We have an amazing CTO from Etsy, as we said, and an amazing team of engineers here. So important to building the right customer experience with the kind of functionality that will make shopping and replenishment easy for families over time. Customer care. We have our own in-house customer care team here, um, led by an amazing woman who metaphorically walked in off the street and asked for a job because she thought the company was really cool and wanted to work (laughs) for people, um, you know, like us and women specifically. She started as an associate and is now the manager of the team. So that's also a critical part of the team here. Um, And then, of course, as Galen has talked about, getting the right veteran experience and team behind the clothing itself has been key. Uh, And there are many other positions um, that are also super important, but we've had to be very selective because we are, you know, we aren't a a huge team. And we grew from under 10 last summer to now just approaching 30. Wow. So it's grown a lot even really just in the past nine months. Did you find it challenging at all in terms of investing in these people because presumably when you're bringing on people who have experience as you know senior people within companies like uh, Gap or, or wherever it might be Etsy etc you're talking about people who <laughs> have a certain expectation in terms of salary that maybe for a startup is you know especially one that has things that you have to <laughs> invest in inventory investing in people was that a challenge or were you able to to compensate them through equity, like what were what were the things that you that allowed you to actually like attract these senior people and then also <laughs> make it work financially? I'm going to speak for both of us, Christina. Tell me if you disagree. I think there's this interesting place where once you, or at least in our experience, once you get to a certain place in your career, you're sort of looking for different things that aren't necessarily a big title or you know a huge base comp. And so I think we've been lucky that you know, the the talent and sort of the, the experience hires we've been able to bring in were just a good fit for what we were doing, which is trying to build something. And I think, you know, in the instance of Marion and Patrick and John and some of the others that Christina mentioned, I think they were excited to sort of take all of the experience that they had had um, and the things that they had learned over the course of their careers to date and apply it to something totally new, like, you know, sort of stretch themselves in a different way, which wasn't 
anymore about managing a team of 200 people or delivering big, massive projects on Etsy or things like that. I think it was just really being here from very, very early on and being able to put like a big stamp on something totally new that I think had a a shot to be really different than, you know, other companies they had worked for or or other things that were sort of known in the market. And so I think that opportunity just ends up appealing to some people in a way that maybe it doesn't for others. And it did in this case, which was lucky for us. I think certainly like you have to be willing to invest in some comp there too, that, that is different than a, you know, sort of very junior person or someone sort of right out of school for sure. But equity matters as well. I think yeah, it's different than than going to work at a big established company where it has more risk attached to it. But the upside is very much tied to successfully building something together, which is, is just a big draw, I think, for, for some people. So that's great. I think, too, the, the other benefit of people at that level is that they've almost been out of the like day-to-day, nitty-gritty, detailed executional work for a long time that it doesn't feel bad to come back to it. Like even for Christina and I, I think, you know, when we started the company, we were doing so much like ordering the lamps and getting the cleaner set up. And like, there's just some stuff with a startup that is part of the job. And I think it feels like people who are sort of in the middle and still trying to prove themselves are just less excited to like go back to that, Um, you know, sort of more like administrative work than than someone who's already been through it and and has maybe less to prove. Yeah, I think there's always people who are more builders and people who are more into optimizing. And when you're someone who's a builder, you want to get get back to that. And and that means going to something small by 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 nature. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Going back to Quitzy for a minute, I actually sourced some questions from (laughs) some people that we know in common, including the only other person on our board, aside from me and Jesse, who is Satya Patel, who is an investor in, in you guys. And he asked a question. I don't know if he's ever asked you this before, um, which was, what was it like to work for Mark Laurie? And do you guys regret not joining him at Jet? Jet Jet.com, for people who are not familiar, was it's a huge, I guess, they're trying to compete with Amazon and were recently or a few months ago acquired by Walmart. Uh, So that's a pretty big project. And and I think a lot of Quidzy people ended up going that with him at that company. We would say in general that our experience at Diapers.com and Quizzy was the career opportunity of a lifetime and such an amazing experience. But so much of that was actually the opportunity to work for Mark, Lori, and Vinnie Barrara, uh, the co-founders of the company. We learned everything from them. Neither of us had come to this with specific experience in e-commerce or in these categories or how to build a company. We became entrepreneurs because, I think in large part of our experience there, watching them do it, seeing what it took to build a company, you know, learning together what it takes to scale a business, and what it takes to build a team and a culture that will live on as you get bigger. So many things we've carried over into our experience at, at primary. I mean, fundamentally, the business is about serving a similar audience of these busy parents with things that are very essential to them with kind of an unexpected level of service. and. We learned a lot about how to do that from Mark and Vinny, including, on one hand, knowing what to be extremely analytical about to manage the business efficiently and sort of just know what matters in terms of metrics and and how to operate the business um, in the best possible way. But at the same time, they also knew when the numbers didn't matter and it was about driving passion from your customers. And they actually constantly reinforced that that was the most important thing. 
to ensure that our customers were truly passionate about us and to invest in service. And again, sort of when the numbers didn't matter because you just had to do the right thing for the customer at any cost, really. Uh, and so these are the kinds of lessons that we've brought with us here. Another one relates to culture, where as driven a culture as Quitsy was, and people worked incredibly hard and wanted to win. But at the same time, the way we treated each other mattered there, and that was something that came top down from Mark and Vinny in terms of core values of the company that included kindness and respect, the way that we collaborated. Um, and so there was a real balance at Quitsy uh, in terms of that sort of drive and hard skills, as well as the soft skills around kindness and empathy that mattered and were part of the stated values of the company. And again, that's something that we brought here with us to primary, very important to our culture. Another reason why I think that people are attracted to the company and, and will take reduction in compensation because they want to work at a place like that. It's interesting that you mentioned becoming entrepreneurs out of sort of learning all that stuff at Quidzy because there, there are quite a few companies that have emerged from there. I think Eloqui comes to mind. There's a few others from entrepreneurs who kind of learned how to do it by being at Quidzy. It's true. It's a really um, fun network and we really support, know each other and support each other, of course, from, you know, Minibar to Manicube, which has since been bought. Yeah, we have friends at Eloqui. Urban Stem. Right. It's great because we have this common history we can really support each other. But I do think that everyone was inspired by watching Mark and Vinny build the company and being part of that experience. And it gave everyone confidence to be able to go and pursue their own venture. It almost felt like, we, we often say this, that if you have an idea that you have absolute conviction in and sort of the people to lead it, and in our case, our partnership was a big part of it, having come from the experience we had and, and seeing what it took, we almost felt like we, we had to do it. How could we not do it? We had, this, had had this really unique experience um, of, of being able to see what it took. And, and then, you know, we had the idea. There was just no way we couldn't do it. And I think other people felt the same way. Uh, and Mark and Vinny were very supportive of everyone doing it. Um, and you had also asked about us going to Jet. And that's an interesting question. Of course, we love working for them so much that that would have been really fun and was something we could have done. But again, it goes back to this point that we had absolute conviction in this idea that it had to happen and wanted to do it together. And thanks to them, mm -hmm. had the confidence to do it. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a wide open. We haven't really touched on kind of the obvious thing of the direct-to-consumer model that you're, you're working on. That's pretty much everyone who we talk to on this podcast is doing something in that area. And it, it does feel like a moment in time where there's so much opportunity. There, there isn't an established brand uh, doing what you guys do yet. So it, it makes sense to me that so many people who got to see that firsthand by being at diapers.com or you know working in any of these companies is now seeing all the opportunities that have yet to be uh, explored. Yeah, I think it says a lot about the customer orientation that we had at Diapers, where that was part of the magic there too. Was I think we talked about it, but like you know, selling these like very basic diapers, wipes, and formula at the beginning, but with an elevated experience that invested in customer service and fast free shipping before anyone was really doing that just made sure that like you were always thinking about the customer when you were making decisions and so I think that you know a lot of people that we worked with and who came out of 
diapers and Quidsy just has that inherent sort of passion for making customers happy. And so I think it's interesting to see the different ways and categories that, that they're applying it. But, but the same fundamental, I think, goal is, is there, which is just, you know, how can we make this experience easier? How can we think about this as a solution instead of just a transaction? Amazon just announced that they're shutting down Quidzy. <laughs> Did it evoke any emotions or anything when you saw that news come out? Yeah, I think we were sad. It was, as Christina said, just like the job opportunity of a lifetime and such a formative like experience for both of us, not only because of what we learned there, but the friendships that we made and the people that we got to work with. And so, yeah, I feel like a little nostalgic and, and sad to see it go. And certainly as customers, we'll miss shopping there. You know, you guys have been involved in, in the e-commerce industry for more than half a decade, almost a decade, I guess. How has it changed? What is, how has e-commerce evolved over the past, you know, five years, uh, five to 10 years? What are you seeing for the future of, of e-commerce? The obvious one is, um, even when we were at diapers, it was all about more stuff generally, like, you know, sort of Amazon perspective on being able to offer everything to customers because having choice and availability of every product under the sun is one way to drive passion and deliver a customer experience. That's great. I think sort of diapers started the other way, which was more about curation and definite availability of product, but in maybe less of an everything, everything sort of way. And it feels like, and maybe just because this is how we're sort of going at the kids' clothing market, but it feels like curation has become more important and specialization both in terms of product and also experience is more important to customers and something that they're looking for. You know, even you see it in brick and mortar, instead of going to the massive grocery store, there's an awesome strip of your butcher and your fish store and your cheese shop and and things like that. So I think just maybe more sort of specialization coming up. Yeah. Related to that, and this is obvious, but um, service levels have obviously increased across the board, and so they've become more the ante than the source of differentiation. And so the way to really differentiate is increasingly through brand. And to do that, of course, you have to control the experience end-to-end, and of course that's why direct-to-consumer and um, why vertically integrated brands can be very powerful. I think more of that will happen. Um, the, some of those brands will really emerge, and curation will be a part of that specialized experience. While some of the marketplaces and platforms, as of course is already happening, may continue to consolidate, um, but I think some of these owned brands, you know, will will, will become very um, strong and powerful um, for many consumers, and I think they will live alongside them. And I think we otherwise hear about interesting things um, coming mm-hmm. coming ahead that are not what we are focused on, but I think things around virtual reality, mm-hmm. VR is is is. And things like that are interesting, and everyone wants to sort of be thinking ahead about how best to make the experience rich and meaningful, but also super convenient for customers. Um, So it will be interesting to see how things like that um, start to affect e-commerce going forward. I'd love to end on, and the note that we started with, which is uh, your relationship with each other. Is there anything that I guess you two learned about each other in recent times that you didn't know about each other, things that you you started to realize or appreciate more about working together uh, over time or the strengths and weaknesses that you discovered about yourselves maybe? 
Something that I strangely didn't know about Galen before this experience was just how much she likes to eat guacamole and drink margaritas. <laughs> That's a good trait in a co-founder. Oh, my God. I can <laughs> so eat important. All. Everyone should be looking for that. Uh, but here at Primary, that has become one of our traditions of what we do when something doesn't go right. Really, though, of course, that's just more of knowing uh, that we have the kind of partnership that works through the ups and downs, which is so, so key. Part of that, too, is um, I think, like, for myself, just talked about this the other day, but, like, I don't really like to talk about things. I just sort of am, like, more happy. It's very bad. But I'm, like, more happy to just, like, let it go and, like, move on and, like, it'll just go away. But Christina's really good about, like, making sure that we talk through stuff, like, when it happens. And so I feel like I hopefully have gotten better at it and sort of recognized the value of just like addressing something right away, talking through it, and then, you know, comes out sort of better on the other side because things aren't allowed to really repeat or fester or any of that stuff. So that's been a good learning for me. I think it's something that Christina is really good at making sure we do. Yeah, I think what I've learned after working with the same person pretty much every day for the past seven years is eventually you start to see the patterns. You start to see this is the type of response or the type of analytical thinking that I should expect from this person. And maybe if you're looking for a different answer, ask somebody else. Or, you know, on the flip side, it's very helpful because I've only recently started to understand uh, what works about the dynamic that I have with Jesse, which is that I like to sort of organize things and she likes to sort of break things and try new things and so that little it's like a little self-perpetuating uh, motor one thing feeds the other and that I found that in other teams that work well those sort of complementary skills and complementary ways of looking at the world help kind of drive the whole machine forward so I don't know if that's something that you find in each other or not. Definitely. And one example for us, I would say, it's a little bit of a generalization, but I think that one way that we're very complementary is that I tend to want to do fewer things, which helps us focus sometimes. Yeah. Galen tends to want to consider and entertain more things, and that ensures that we think out of the box a little more and don't miss out on great ideas to do things differently. Yes. I'm like you. See, that I, that's really interesting because we had the founders of Cotton Bureau on the show recently and they had a similar dynamic. One likes to take risks and the, and the one is, you know, the opposite, uh, more conservative. And somehow those two things kind of balance each other out or cause arguments, but useful arguments that get the conversation going. The other like funny balance I think that we've like discovered is that we write really good emails together. And so like together. sometimes you just like, Ugh, there's like a hard email and it's sort of sensitive and you're not really sure. And so like Christina will start a draft or I'll start a draft, send it to the other person, like a couple changes. And then like within like five minutes, we're all set. But it's good to like have some collaboration on communications that way. It's real effective. <laughs> I totally agree with that, actually. Whenever we write our investor updates or big updates to our customers or stuff like that, that's exactly how it goes where Jesse and I will just ping pong on it. And then at the, by the end, we're like, who should sign this email? I guess totally. both of us. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and, and all your insights. If people want to find out more about Primary, they can go to primary.com, great domain. If they have anything else that they you know want to learn about you guys, is there any other resources that you want to send people to? 
just our email addresses are easy. It's just Galen at primary and Christina at primary. We're happy anytime. Wow. What, <laughs> is that a service you offer? I might email you It's not you a service we really offer until right now, but but we really are. Like, okay. I might um, need to mention that I have 80,000 oh unanswered emails. Oh, my God. <laughs> Got okay. it. No, no, no. Of course, we, uh, <laughs> no, we do love to talk with people about their experiences, trade stories, and compare notes. So anytime. All right. Well, thank you so much. Okay, Thanks bye. so much. Oh, shit. I just hung up on him. Oh, my God. Sorry. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, if you got something useful out of it, I would love to hear what that was. Consider writing a short review, could be just a sentence long, by going to iTunes and searching for Well Made. I want to hear it all. I want to hear good, bad. I want to hear your constructive criticisms. I am just trying to make this show as useful as possible for you. So tell us what you think. That is the very best way that you can support the show. Thanks, and see you next time.